0: Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. Part two of the EPL preview spectacular. What's up, brother?
1: Oh, Andrew, I'm so excited. This is it. The the end is near. We've got a great mailbag. The listeners have really stepped up to the plate and eaten whatever has been on the plate because that's what you do when you go to the plate. And uh, it's going to be a great podcast. And we've got a great guest.
0: Oh, do we ever. Danny Higginbotham cannot wait for this conversation. You've seen him, of course, on NBC Sports over the past year. You remember him as a, as a Premier League player. Uh, he's also a color commentator for the Philadelphia Union this year, although this is a, an EPL preview, so our focus with him will be mainly Premier League and some nostalgia as well. He's a great storyteller, and I, I'm sure he's got great stories from his time in the league. I'm so excited! This is one of my favorite podcasts that we do not just for our EPL previews, but period, like in general. Um, because I love when we go all in on the mailbag and we just like invite your letters and the response. I'm always blown away by it. And once again, our listeners have been phenomenal, they have come out in full force. We have an awesome mailbag. And uh, I'm super excited about it. At the end of this podcast, JJ, of course, we will do our predictions. They're utterly meaningless unless they are correct. And like we always <laughs> say, we, uh, we do not forget. We revisit them at the midway point of the season and we revisit them at the end of the season. So we're not just like, we don't just throw stuff out there, hope that everyone forgets. No, no, no. We hold ourselves accountable because that's, that's what you, the listener, demands and deserves, quite frankly
1: i got to be honest, I, I hate my uh, predictions. I hate predictions in general. As anyone who knows me down the years on this podcast, they know I am crap at them, and I don't like doing them. But, but Andrew, I have done them again because that is what we do at this time of year.
0: Yeah, as a general observation, the, I, I also found them very difficult this year. And I think it's because I feel like I'm coming into this season where I don't necessarily have a bad feeling about a lot of teams. Like I, I maybe it's just uh, generally speaking on this podcast, you know, I know we make jokes, oh, it is a bright future, all that stuff, but I think generally speaking, I'm more of the optimist on this show, and you're more of the pessimist. And I feel that that is shining through with me as I approach the season when I'm when I was previewing and, and looking at these teams. I feel like I, I see a lot of teams through shiny rimmed glasses,
1: yeah, and i I think for me in my predictions what what I found was, Uh, There was a lot of things that were just screamingly obvious to me, and I decided to kind of maybe push against it a little bit because otherwise it would be very, very boring, and I don't want to put out rote uh, answers that we've given every year. Although in the mailbag, it's interesting. One club I feel exactly the same way about as I did uh, last summer.
0: It is is also your nature to be a contrarian.
1: No, I, I enjoy conversation about football more than anything. I think that's the best the best thing about about the game is that you you can you can look at it from a bunch of different angles and that you're not just completely consumed by your own club like the the modern twitter fan is and I'm not talking about our listeners here cuz our listeners in fairness are are pretty well rounded but the modern twitter fan i can't hack who are, you know the tunnel vision my club um, oh. just my club my lens how can i degrade everybody else and not take a care or an interest in in the rest of the league. I can't do that.
0: I mean, look, that's a huge element of fan culture. That's it, not that's it, not just it, Twitter culture. I think there's an element of fan culture of either you're with us or against us. You can't. Like- can I can
1: can I say that? Maybe 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 you think that that's the case. Uh, but I have some friends, and I'm thinking of one in particular, uh, a Leeds United fan, and he's brilliant. He is the most committed Leeds fan you will ever meet. He has the the ticket stubs, the 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 airplane miles across Europe following this team through good and bad, uh, mostly bad in the last decade, and he can talk about other teams, other clubs, other players, and and, and praise other players. Oh yeah! And it not it? Isn't all about Leeds with him? That fan is, I would say, in the minority right now.
0: Um. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe there's some truth to that. You know what I find with myself as a fan when I'm speaking with other Tottenham fans, like. I have no problem – and, you know, that's not entirely true because on this podcast I, I destroy them at times as well. But, like, when I'm talking with other Tottenham fans, I have no problem just going into a bash fest. Where we just like tear them apart and, and but like the second if somebody were to walk into that group who like is like a West Ham fan or something and and just would look at us and be like, Yeah, I know, right? Like, I would instantly turn on him and just be like, What do you know? You don't know anything about this club. Yeah, how dare you talk negatively about them? This is the greatest club. Like, I feel like I just have no tolerance to hear oh others outsiders say it. But like I agree with all the criticism. I just don't always want to hear it from from, you know, non supporters.
1: I uh, two Chelsea fans turned up at the uh, Munro Bar last year, last season, um, for the uh, for Liverpool Chelsea game, <laughs> and very nice people, lovely people. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I I turned on them instantly. <laughs> I started calling them Tories, and uh, you know, um, oh my sing, god, singing anti Chelsea songs the whole thing. But we had a laugh about it. Like they, yeah. you know, they were they were educated, or they were uh they had the emotional intelligence to know that i wasn't like attacking them it was just a bit of a bit of uh that a bit, terrible word banter well, I, oh, I, was, t-
0: I cringe when you say it oh uh, ban that full. one that's the one i thought you were gonna say yeah. no
1: but we had we had a bit of fun and it, it, it was fine and um they're uh very self-aware chelsea fans they yeah. know they know exactly why people don't like them and um and and, and that's great you can have fun with them
0: yeah most fans so, are uh, good people we love them yeah. and they are the lifeblood of the show. And on that note, let's do it with the mailbag and speak to them directly. Uh, let's go. I'm uh, uh, let by you, the way, you, yeah, you take us through, my friend.
1: All right. Okay. It's uh, I'm the pilot. I'm the captain now. Um, let me just say you can contact us throughout the year. Uh, email, caught at gmail.com, Twitter, at CO Soccer pod. Instagram, caught ESPN. Uh, we are not the website, caught offside. I got, a, I got an email uh, from a listener who uh, just this morning, who was disagreeing with us on a point we made in pod one, and he said, I love your podcast. I also love love your site. I visit it regularly. No, 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 no. Caught off site, site has nothing to do with us, okay? Yeah. We're just a podcast, a great podcast, albeit, but we are, we are not a website.
0: I don't know who I'm was like, here first. I'm not sure. I don't even but, know if I care to go back and find out, but I, I would not be opposed to a name change. Um, Or are we a brand now?
1: Brand awareness is important, Andrew. Push his glasses to the center of his nose. Um, And I think you need to uh, recognize that in this uh, current environment. Let's begin, Andrew. Let's begin with a character from Seinfeld. Hello, Newman. Hmm? Mm, It's Newman. Hi, JJ and Andrew. Now, before you push it aside, JJ, I've put it all together completely. Tons of your listeners, including myself, Play and enjoy Fantasy Premier League. This is true. I took the liberty to set up a caught offside Reddit. So that's (laughs) R forward slash caught offside pod. And I've created the FPL League caught offside podcast. Nothing needs to be done on your part. It feels like a ransom note. Uh, Shout out the Reddit community on the preview podcast. Whoever wants to play can join. Those who do not can just ignore also, if you guys ever want to administer the league, let me know, and I'll relinquish it to you guys. Love the pod. Thank you, Newman. That's amazing. That is amazing. A couple I, of things that, I from actually, illegal... I've
0: never actually been on Reddit, so I don't even know how to navigate it or what any of that means. But the fact that Newman went to those lengths, uh, that, that's amazing. That's awesome. By the way,
1: New, Newman is right. We've been sleeping on this for far too long, and, and probably because we have kind of busy lives, it's, it hasn't been possible for us what? To do this ourselves. And, and also What do you
0: mean, start a Reddit page?
1: Or no, or get no. in on Premier League, on fantasy no, premier league. Create create people have asked us before to create a fantasy Premier League um league for uh for all our listeners. And I and this is not me being boastful, but there is thousands of you and that's that is beyond us. So uh to to administer and run that league seems like uh, it seems like a bit of trouble. So listen, Newman, here's what I'm gonna say to you. Everybody uh, caught offside Reddit, so that's r forward slash caught offside pod, and the FPL league is called Caught Offside Podcast. Um, so guys, have at it, enjoy yourselves. Uh, just to be, just to keep this all legally above board, this is nothing to do with me or Andrew. We have uh, we are not sanctioning it. We're saying go ahead and enjoy yourselves. Uh, nothing to do with ESPN. And please, 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 don't uh, come uh, to a situation where this. Uh, fantasy Premier League spawns into something that ends up on 4chan.
0: Hey, what do you think fantasy Premier League is? You did it Andrew, for a year.
1: Andrew, it's a gateway. It's a gateway to darker things, and you know it.
0: You're very... JJ, we we are... Speaking of which, my fantasy Premier League that you used to be in looks like it's going to get up and running again. It was, it was on life support, but I think it's going to be back. JJ was briefly in it for a, a season, and then he remembered that he's better than everyone, and doesn't take part in this sort of activity, no. and, and he dropped out after one year.
1: No, he was I, also terrible.
0: He was dreadfully bad at it. I no, I was all
1: right. Uh, I I hadn't the commitment to keep going, and once I picked a player that was injured to start in my team, <laughs> he was clearly injured, and I started him, and I still uh, accumulated quite a lot of points in the league, and I thought I should just leave this on autopilot. There's no point. But actually, it was just more laziness uh, more than anything. Um, shall we move on? Of course, yeah. Uh, Jonas in Washington state. Uh, I would like to begin this email with a big, Hey guys to say, I am concerned about this forthcoming season for Everton is an understatement. Liverpool connections aside, Rafa Benitez would not have been on my short list of managers beyond him. This team was terrible at times under Ancelotti. I am not even sure our star player, James Rodriguez is committed to the cause enough anymore. As for incoming players, uh, Damari Gray and Andrew Townsend are not impressing me very much. Have you any words of optimism for me, Andrew?
0: Well, optimism is all in the eye of the beholder. It depends what your expectations are. Like, I don't look at this Everton side, you know, I mean, maybe we could have teased ourselves last season going into the year with Carlo Ancelotti, with Thomas Rodriguez. Uh, Allen, we thought, was going to be an impact signing we could have maybe teased ourselves into thinking okay everton could can flirt with top 4 i don't you can't do that this year uh so if you know if that's what the hope is of everton fans and as it should be by the way i mean they should see themselves as a club that can battle for a spot in the top 4 of course. but but that's not what this team is at least not to me now if i wanted to try to be optimistic uh i try. could say you know last season they dealt with meaningful injuries so it's hard you know, like Thomas Rodriguez. Um, you know, so it's hard to predict that again. Like I, So I, I would say let's just assume for now that you won't have that in the same way. And I would also say that a lot of your best players are young and only just touching their prime now. Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, both 24. Uh, ben Godfrey, 23. Moisa Ken, 21. Tom Davies, 23. Uh, I so, think
1: Moisey Ken is probably going to be gone.
0: Andrew is he? Well, yeah. All right. Well, at any rate, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's still some, you know, some fairly young players. I, I don't know if I fully agree with Jonas saying that he's questioning if Hamas Rodriguez is committed to the cause enough anymore. That feels mm-hmm. a little bit unfair. But ultimately, being optimistic is hard here because I don't know that they've made improvements. Like, he's right in the email to point out Damari Gray, Andrews Townsend. I don't think they've done a lot in the transfer window so far to improve. I think that they've probably downgraded at manager going from Ancelotti. Even though I like Rafa Benitez, I don't know that I have him quite on the same level as Ancelotti. Um, So, yeah, if you're an Everton fan coming into this season not excited, I I get it. I understand that.
1: Um, I'm just going to give you this. Rafa is a winner. Thirteen trophies across his career. He had to work with a lot less at Newcastle, albeit you don't really want Everton to be finishing in a Newcastle position. Uh, You want more than that, right? Everton will be organized. There's young players, like you said. Godfrey might learn a lot under him. Um, If he can get a note out of Richarlison, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and, of course, James, might not be as bad as you think.
0: It's worth pointing out that JJ is the same person who, on part one of this very preview special, suggested that Everton will be flirting with relegation this year. So take, I did not take his do... optimism with a grain of salt. Uh, uh, listen, dum-dum, that was called
1: baseless predictions. That so th- was like that your, count? your bad pre- bad prediction amnesty. That was what that was. Come on. Please stay true to the vision no, It's a prediction of that you, you know
0: you're going out on a limb, but you, you said it for a reason. You didn't just pick them out of a hat. you yeah. c- so, you know, you yeah, it's an out on the limp uh, prediction, but you wouldn't have said that about a team you had a good feeling about going into this season.
1: Fair enough. Um, Harsh Patel, uh, he thinks that this season uh, teams are going to try and copy Kante's destroyer role at Chelsea. Uh, what are our thoughts? Um, I'll give you my thoughts pretty quickly. Yeah. don't think it's possible for another team to recreate what Angola Kante did in the latter half of Chelsea's season or the Champions League final. Not a hope. Uh, Nobody is copying that because just like when united had uh, roy keane nobody else has a midfielder capable
0: yeah it's one of those things that like if if anyone could do it then everyone would do it but like yeah, there's I, just I would, very few h- players who are gifted enough and and have that sort of work rate both in attack and in defense
1: yeah it's not easy i would say i would say to harsh that um it's a copycat league football is a copycat uh, a copycat game uh, you know systems develop people copy them but it is not a cyborg game where you can generate N'Golo Kante uh, times two. Not going to happen.
0: By the way, I was um, I was just looking up stuff about Chelsea, and I came across uh, an article. And I'm going to ask you, Christian Pulisic recently said that he and N'Golo Kante are the two best what on Chelsea? Uh,
1: they're the two best chess players. That's
0: right. Yeah. Boy, you're very well read. You read everything. I can't get anything past you.
1: I consume a lot, Andrew, and it's all rattling around in this big old head of mine.
0: Yeah, Pulisic said that uh, N'Golo Conte is the the best on the team. He said Conte uh, and Olivier Giroud used to play each other a lot, but now Pulisic he said he took it back up during the uh, the pandemic when he was inside a lot, and he loves it. And he even right. took a shot at that. Like, here's what he said about he said it's an incredible game that can help you with a lot of things like problem solving or seeing different patterns. I'm not saying it it directly correlates to me being a better footballer, but it's certainly better than staring at a screen gaming. Oh, what a shot across the bow of of the youths.
1: I'd just like Christian Pulisic to start reading a bit more. I think that'd be good for him. Don't just limit it to chess. Open the mind into literature, Christian. (laughs) What's next? Uh, Toby, surely West Ham can repeat what they did last season. Keeping rice will be huge, and having our fans back an even bigger boost. Didn't appreciate JJ's negative negativity on Pod One. Um, I'm going to quote uh, Jim Cairns in 442, who did just an excellent preview of West Ham uh, for this season. Uh, this this is pretty. This is a pretty good little uh, little factoid here. In the past ten campaigns, 31 English clubs have qualified for the Europa League via the league. And only nine, only nine, have improved their final position the following year. Of the non-super leaguey-type teams, only Southampton and West Ham have managed it. The latter, <laughs> through cunningly getting knocked out before the kids were even back at school. That's right. Um, which is, which is exactly what they did. They went out in the first round to some random Romanian team that I'd never heard of. Look, um, keeping rice is huge. You look at the squad, though, and you think, how are they going to fight on two fronts? Um, and uh, Toby's assertion that having the fans back uh, will be an even bigger boost. Um, there's a lot of people who think West Ham did as well as they did last season because they had no fans.
0: I was about to say, they're, we're not that far removed from when that was kind of a like a, a useful thing for them to not have fans. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, look, to say that they'll do what they did last season... Uh, like West Ham can still be really good, but JJ, they finished two points out of fourth last year behind shell. I mean, that's ad- f- for them oh, to on. do it again. It's just asking. It's just asking an awful lot. And you know, how, how high I was on West Ham last season. And I'll be honest. I am again. Like they haven't really lost anyone. Uh, th- now. The only problem is they have, well, they have lost one guy. Like for, I look at West Ham. I love their midfield rice and Sue That's great. Um, in defense, Cresswell, Sioux Falls, like those guys a lot, too. I worry about where the goals will come from. That's, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. a knock on Mikel Antonio. I do like him. He had a good XG number last year above half a goal per game. Uh, but remember, a lot of West Ham's success came out of the blue in the name of Jesse Lingard. He showed up, gave him a massive boost, uh, and he's not there. Like, that was found money last year. No one expected that. So, So who makes up for that this season? It's hard to predict. Uh, so that would be my only concern. But aside from that, I mean, I think if you're a West Ham fan, be excited. Like maybe would, go, go on a wrong? European run in the, in the Europa League. I don't know. Well, like,
1: yeah, ex- exactly. What's wrong with going on a run in Europe and say finishing 10th or 11th for West Ham? Nothing. Not really. I mean, I, let's be honest. I, yeah, think I, mean, I go- guess
0: it depends what that European run would be. Uh, because if it's, you know, just getting out of the group and then going out in the knockout stage and finishing 11th, I, th- I think, I don't know, I think more highly of this West Ham team than that.
1: I think West Ham fans getting a chance to go on tour in Europe is uh, is a pretty special thing. So, of course, uh, yeah, getting out of Europe will be or getting out of the group in Europe will be amazing. Jordan, is a healthy Newcastle United a team that turns ahead or two, especially with the potential addition as of today, maybe done by recording? of Willock on a permanent deal. Eight goals and 14 appearances is, a, is impressive without having too big of a fan bias. Jordan is a Jordy. Yeah. Um, okay, I, can I deal with this first? Sure. I, I think I'm going to repeat myself from last uh, our last preview, or our last mailbag, uh, preseason mailbag, but it's probably going to be the same as last season for me. Um, Willock, he agreed personal terms today. At, at this point, he's he's on his way. Callum Winson, uh, Alan San Maximin, uh, Ryan Fraser, um, Fabian Schar. That's a squad with with the with the other players that they have that should be better than twelfth. But they're managed by Steve Bruce, who has been praised for getting twelfth last season. I, the supporters think this team should do way better. I I I agree with them. The manager doesn't. <laughs> I really don't think he does. The supporters. Also, just like um, West Ham, they're going to be back in St. James's Park, and they despise Steve Bruce. Uh, this is a team that can turn heads, all right, but they play drab football, and it's not always winning football, and that's a problem.
0: I think for me, I look at them, and I, I think they're fine. I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're good. They're fine. Um, the only Now, the one thing they do have, for me, is potentially the biggest X factor in the league. Like, I remember the things that I said last year about Adama Traore at Wolves, about his potential to be the X factor for them. Like, that, yeah. if he's something special, then they will be they could be better than whatever we thought. I think, I have a similar feeling about Alan Sant-Maximin this year. All right. Now, he's got to stay there. There's been rumblings that he's not happy. Apparently, he wanted Joe Willock, and if that move becomes official, then that could go a long way in making him happy. But he's just such an enigmatic, lightning rod like he can be so electric and so fun or he can be difficult the the guardian did their preview on newcastle and they did a focus on saint maximan they called him uh, a maverick almost elemental talent he petrifies opposition defenders intelligent independent-minded and sometimes ill-disciplined saint maximan is virtually indispensable to newcastle i mean like we say you just said steve bruce drab but he's not and so I just yeah. wonder if he can kind of like break through that and be sort of that fun figure on the team that can help set up Callum Wilson and put other guys in, in good positions because um, he's he's different. He's different than whatever you think of a Steve Bruce team to be. And if, if he's allowed to play that way, then I think he could be a lot of fun and maybe carry them a little bit, maybe a couple places higher than whatever we look at them as right now.
1: Fundamentally, I agree with you, but I don't think it's going to happen because mm-hmm. ugh, they need to change a manager. That's my view. And uh, it's a view that I voiced to his son, Alex Bruce, on Twitter, um, in a conversation that descended rapidly. Uh, Andrew, wait, many wait. people. <laughs> when when was this? Um, uh, so, uh, Steve, I think, or Alex? No, Alex tweeted a, a, something that was written um, by Steve Bruce uh, about Steve Bruce by a journalist, and it was it was information, by the way that had been gleaned from the training ground. Like the journalists didn't make it up and Alex Bruce was attacking journalism and I didn't like it. So I retweeted it and kind of said, uh, look, there's, there's a lot of things that have been uh, said about Steve Bruce that are definitely unfair, but attacking journalism isn't the way to go or whatever. And then Alex Bruce responded to me and we had a bit of a back and forth. But um, yeah, he's, he's always going to bat for his dad against journalism, which
0: well, I'm okay with the first part of that. I think yeah. any self-respecting person will go to bat for their dad. Um, I don't know. Before I take sides, I want to see this conversation.
1: I'll, I've got to dig it out um, from the archives. Boy, but you have a uh,
0: fascinating history with Newcastle and their managers.
1: I really do. And the whole fan base. Yeah.
0: very
1: um, interesting. Andrew, many people want a blast of EPL Back for More. Can you provide that, please? EPL Back for More. That's all you get. Uh, one more time. EPL back for more. That's going to have to do you guys. Uh, Nuri Yank. Uh, the Nuri Yank gets in contact with us. Thoughts on this, lads? I don't understand why Chelsea are such favorites now. Are people sleeping on LFC? The team is back to full strength and our key players were not used a lot in the summer tournaments. Um, and this is an article by the Liverpool Echo uh, Liverpool FC News, so it's going to have a slant for the fans on it, but it's true. Liverpool are written off by all 20 BBC pundits as title predictions are delivered. So 20 of the BBC pundits, uh, Mark Lawrenson, ex-Liverpool, Alan Shearer, uh, uh, Jermaine Genus, etc., etc. None of them had Liverpool as title winners. They, some of them had them second, some of them had them, I think there was mainly third and fourth. Mm-hmm. And um, Nuri Yank has taken exception to this. So let me just, uh, I suppose, attack this on a couple of levels. Like, first of all, uh, you know why the reigning European champions who in the last 12 months have spent 300 million on Europe's best talent and have one of Europe's more astute managers in charge are favourites for some people. Chelsea are not a weird pick to be favourites for the league, okay? And they may not win the league at all, but as we sit here in early August before a ball has been kicked, it is not impossible to see why some pundits would tip them for the title. And I say this as a Liverpool fan. I don't think people realize as well how much pundits hate preseason predictions. And honestly, they are mostly bollocks anyway. You are guessing nine months ahead in a sporting competition with the best knowledge available to you. By the way, the transfer and,
0: window is still open for another two and a half weeks.
1: Right. You <laughs> we don't even window. know what the teams are. It's it's such a good point. Um, uh, By the way, Andrew, last Christmas, even within a season, you don't know what's going to happen. Last Christmas... Uh, December 19th, Liverpool hammered Crystal Palace and went five points clear. Mm -hmm. Right. And you text me and you said, I think that's that they could win it by 10. And look at the way things happened after that. So I stand by that, by the way. (laughs) Um, Also, I just Liverpool being back to full strength. I would argue that a little bit. Apart from the fact Robertson has just got injured and is out for a few weeks with an ankle injury, there are some unknowns, right? So Virgil van Dijk is coming back from the ACL. We know that isn't always a straightforward, linear thing. There's often complications on the way. Hopefully there won't be, but you can pick up niggling injuries. A midfield without Genie Wijnaldum, how will that be? He started 34 of the 38 games in the league last season. We don't know what Liverpool are going to be and how the midfield is going to be reformed without one of their main starters. Sadio Mane, can he regain his form? Roberto Firmino, will he regain his form or is this a decline? Outside of Jota and the front three, who is there to help out from the bench? Big question, depth. There are some young players to be excited about for sure, but there are senior players that need to contribute that haven't yet. Keita, Minamino, et cetera. I'm optimistic, actually, and I've enjoyed pre-season watching the Liverpool videos. They look really sharp. I, I agree with you, Nuri, Mick. They look good. They look fresh. Um, but to have doubts, and for some people, including Jamie Carragher, those doubts are enough to say that Liverpool won't win the league come May. That's that's okay.
0: Like we shouldn't be getting upset about that. They're fascinating to me coming into the season, Liverpool, because uh, the Van Dyke thing is so interesting. Because, like you say, on paper, seeing him return to that team. There's arguably oh. no bigger move. Like I don't care about Grealish going to City or Lukaku going to Chelsea. There's nothing bigger to me that can happen than Van Dijk returning to Liverpool. But 100%. what you but, but what you say though is also true that guys don't always just come back from a torn ACL and bang 38 games, 90 minutes a game, like. You could see sometimes what you overcompensate with your other leg, you pick up a hamstring. Like There could be issues, but it's hard to predict that. All I know right now is that Virgil van Dyke is going back to Liverpool, which for me is massive. And what you said is true, too. At the halfway point of last season, they were the best team in the league. I think at that point, injuries, fatigue, I think things caught up with them. They fell off a cliff. But remember this, they got guys back, they rebounded, and how did they finish the year? The last 10 games, they took 26 out of 30 points. So, yep. like, it was really just one stretch of last season that undid whatever potential they had to go on a title run. And a bit of self-sabotage, tinkering with the midfield
1: when you should have just trusted whatever center backs you had.
0: But here's the thing, though. here One of the reasons why I still feel good about Liverpool, for whatever struggles they went through last season, JJ, one thing that we never said about them was that they were playing poorly. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like oftentimes their results were frustrating, but how many podcasts did you come on afterwards? You went on your your soulful, mournful walks following a frustrating Liverpool loss, and you would talk about how frustrating it was because of the chances that they wasted. Their XG last year, JJ, Mm. was the same. Actually, it was fractionally better than what it was in their title-winning year, but they scored 18 fewer goals last year than in their title-winning year. So if you believe in any kind of reversion to the mean then that means that you would see an uptick in the finishing department, and I think it's natural to believe that. I have enough faith in Salah, Mane, players of that caliber that I really think highly of. I I believe that whatever the best version is of them that we've seen, that's more real to who they are. So, like, look, I'll I'll give this away right now. I'm not picking Liverpool to be my champions, but I'd be shocked if they're not a part of the conversation in April, early May. I I think they're a part of this race.
1: Absolutely fair. Um, A, at Kirby underscore CLE. What do you guys think the ceiling is for a team like Aston Villa? Lost Grealish, but seem to have added a lot of talent with Ings and Bailey. Could they finish up near that conference league spot? Um, I have a short answer. Absolutely. There have been a lot of signings, so it might take a little time to gel, but Bundia is absolute quality. Um, Danny Ings is a proven goal scorer. Can he stay fit? Ollie Watkins, I think there's more to come from him. Um Douglas Louise in the middle of the park, Kanza Mings at the back, um, Emmy Martinez in goal, uh, two decent fullbacks as well. Um they're nice they're a
0: nice team. Uh, that that would surprise me. I'm gonna I'm gonna pump the brakes. Ooh. Not saying I'm not calling them a relegation candidate. They're they're a fine mid table side. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too simplistic here. I just don't think that a team like Villa can lose a player like Realish and be better. Like that that's not them. Maybe some mm. like teams that that can spend a lot and try to make up for it quickly, maybe some team but that like Villa is not that to me. Um, All right. well, He missed 12 league matches last year through injury. They won two of them. Now, I know they're okay. on a different side, but I, I think that it's going to for a guy like that who's so ball dominant and so a part of everything that they do. I just think guys are going to have roles redefined. It, it's going to take time. And I, I think that, no, to, that's not what their hope should be. I don't I wouldn't be looking at trying to qualify for Europe. That's not them.
1: OK, fair enough. Uh, Bryant Olivias. Uh, newcomer who's going to make the biggest impact this year that's not named Sancho, Daka, or Canate. Um I'm going to say uh, the aforementioned uh, Bondia of Aston Villa and uh, Brian Mabuemo of Brentford, who okay. I saw only a little bit of last season in the playoffs. I thought he was really impressive. And our friend, uh, Jay so- Sochik, who is the head of analytics at, I think it's Luton Town mm-hmm. now. Uh, he, we had him on the podcast. He's a Sheffield United supporter. He's pretty high on on Brian Mabuemo, too. So, mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, that's fine. I went. I'm kind of following the trends here. You know, we we saw what Liverpool did with Van Dyke. We saw what Manchester City did and what Ruben Diaz meant to them. So I'm gonna say Christian Romero at Spurs. Um, you know, 23 years old. They went out and got what they believe is among what the one, two, or three best defenders who were available. Um, here's what Tim Vickery said about him at Sky Sports. He said, center back has been a real problem position for Argentina for years. And just since the start of June, when he first played, Christian Romero has been greeted as the savior. Even with just five caps, he's now the first defender on the team sheet for Argentina. Um, they didn't allow a goal in the three Copa America matches in which he played. He's been excellent at Atalanta in Serie A. So I think that's I think that's important for Tottenham, especially with Aldo Verald gone. I mean, there's a there's a, a hole there that needed to be filled, and I think they filled it with a, a really good player. So uh yeah, I'll say Romero.
1: Okay, hey, Kurt Reinhardt. Oh, such a great last name. Isn't it Reinhardt. Just sounds like he was the bassist in like a really good hair metal band of the nineteen eighties. On bass, Kurt Reinhardt. I was curious. If you all uh, ever bet on soccer matches, I know it has a firm place in Europe and is growing here in the U.S. Keep up the great work, uh, Kurt. I rarely do. I have I have uh, friends and uh, brother-in-law who who do regularly. I rarely do. A, because I don't like losing money, and I in, I almost always do. Um, and for uh, having a fairly relatively addictive personality, I it's not a, a road I'd I'd like to go down. Now I don't judge anyone who does nor do I ju- judge anyone who takes uh, sponsorship money from from betting, whatever. Um, but I, I don't do it. How about you, Andy? No, I never have. No. no. Uh, Joe Bowery. Good morning, gentlemen. Love your podcast. By the way, this is an email where I'm going to just take the suck the air out of it. Sorry. Uh, I just started paying attention to non-World Cup soccer last year, and I can't believe how much it has taken over. It has become my absolute favorite sport. Now on to the reason I'm emailing. Four of the most prolific strikers are rumored to be joining new teams either, either this season or next. Andrew, I want you to give the, uh, what's the ah uh, noise? Um, if you hear a signing that's not happening or unlikely to happen, I want you to go ah. Uh. Okay. S- so here we go. Four of the most prolific strikers are rumored to be joining new teams either this season or next. Hmm. Uh, Kane to Man City. <laughs> Lukaku to Chelsea. Lautaro Martinez to Arsenal. <laughs> and Haaland to Man U.
0: Is there a maybe sound effect? Mm, I can't see that.
1: Maybe. Do the maybe one. I
0: right. don't have a maybe one. But just go, if I had a maybe, I would... Just go,
1: just go, eh? Or something like that. Maybe? All right. Uh, how exciting will it be to watch these four go head-to-head and throw Liverpool in the mix? It's going to be a great time to be an EPL fan. Um. Yeah, it won't be this season, though. It, uh, by Kane the way, Man-
0: uh, can I – is – like, okay, fine. If you want to talk about players who are outside of the EPL coming in, like Lukaku, yeah. uh, Martinez, Holland. okay, fine. I would take exception with the first one, the Kane to Man City. I don't know that – I. Uh, Will this would that be a move that people are celebrating?
1: Oh, that's so much fun. And imagine <laughs> you're an inter, imagine you're an internationale fan and you're watching your club go through this fire sale. No, right, but, Martin... but he's
0: but he's talking from a Premier League fan perspective. So I I'm, mm. I'm going to I get what you're saying, but I'm going to try to see it through his eyes. He wants he loves this league. He wants as much talent as possible Wait, but, in this league. What,
1: where would Arsenal have to finish this season for Lautaro Martinez to go to Arsenal? Yeah, I don't know. Let's be, I, I let's be real. They'd have to win the league.
0: Uh, I don't oh, know. I don't Andrew, that's know.
1: not ha- that move's not happening.
0: I, I mean, I, he would have been linked to Tottenham, was my perception. But
1: yeah, I, I saw that as well, and I was like, huh, Jesus! Inter seriously are short of cash here."
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Josh Hinton is concerned about City not having an out-and-out striker. I think we dealt with this before, but he does bring up a good point. It took the season of Gundogan's career. And what a dozen goals that nobody saw coming for us to go on a run in January and February to win the title, and we only did it on eighty-six points. Josh thinks it's going to be ninety-plus this season, which I don't think it's going to be ninety-plus, but maybe uh, I see it's not I crazy. See his point. Maybe I, I actually think City. I, I I thought about what he was saying, and basically what he's saying, he's saying if there's, you know, when you spread the goals out, uh, in the way that City did. Because it's not like uh, Ilkay Gundogan scored like thirty goals. He didn't. But if you if you do what they did with goals last season, uh, it, it requires uh, a lot of guys to hit a lot of uh, you know decent form and do like a Liverpool on it with the front three and spread the goals out. But even then, like when Liverpool did do that, Salah is still scoring in the in the high twenties. Um, I yeah, think maybe. there's a
0: there's a guy from Manchester City that I think is about to blow up. Okay. And unfortunately, so I was gonna make this guy my when we do our predictions later, I'll give this one away now too. I was going to make this Phil Foden my golden boot prediction. Ooh. I, I think he's about to have a big season. My only issue I had two issues with him. One, he doesn't take their penalties, which I think affects golden boot statistics. And two, now he's hurt for the first month of the season and that could that could <laughs> matter. But I All think right. I think that he's about I don't know. I think we're about to see one of, it's not, I don't think this is a revelation to say it. I think we're about to see one of the next big things in this league with him.
1: Okay. Uh, Frank Barker, what are your best and worst kits for the new season? I will flick through mine quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll go with best first. Uh, I like the yellow Arsenal away. Uh, That is nice. That is Adidas. Uh, Villa away, the pale green or, or light teal effort is quite nice that's made by Kappa. Chelsea home and away are pretty bad efforts. Uh, in fact they're atrocious. And that's by Nike. I'm really not that keen on Liverpool shirts either. Those are by Nike. Uh, Newcastle away looks like the front cover of Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division. Uh, they're made by Castore. And uh, Tottenham's Jackson Pollock on Acid <laughs> away shirt is actually growing on me. Uh
0: so I'll start with my favorites. Uh, Burnley home. I think it's nice. Um Manchester City's away kit. I like what they do with the font. They kind of have like a... I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Just look it up. And, uh, <laughs> and Yeah. Oh, uh, wa- Andrew, what yeah. a picture you paint. <laughs> and Watford home. You know why, JJ? Horizontal stripes. Horizontal stripes all day. And my...
1: Is that because that of the weird body syndrome?
0: Uh, well, no. Typically, horizontal stripes um, are less flattering for my weird body syndrome. So oh. maybe it's just, like, me wanting what I can't have, you know? Uh, but, yeah, I, so I'll say I'll give Watford home. Love love the horizontal stripes. Least favorite you hit on it. Chelsea, uh, I just don't think these kits, with that number three there, I just don't think oh. it's ever going to grow on me. I don't no. know what they can do. It's just that's what their sponsor is. Um, and then I know you said it's growing on you. I don't know. I'll, I'm a simple man, JJ. The Tottenham away is just – there's just a lot going on there. Uh, I respect the effort, but I wouldn't like. I sometimes think of okay, is that a kit that I would buy? And no, I would not. I would not buy. I would not buy that one. But that's you me. Are, that's me.
1: You are way too conservative to wear that. Just it's not going to
0: happen. Simple man.
1: Uh, Luca I uh, love the pod as always, and really enjoyed your coverage of the Euros this year. Thank you. We enjoy doing it. Yeah. I am wondering if recording from home is going to become a permanent thing. The audio quality has gotten much better as the pandemic wore on, and I can't tell the difference anymore from a studio and an at-home recording. Excuse me. It just pains me to my core to think that J.J. can't look into Andrew's eyes when he sings his passionate rendition of the Jassy Zardas hymns, Keep Up the Good Work. Well, you can,
0: um, you can look into my eyes uh, when we record from home because we do it through Zoom, so we, we see each other.
1: Yeah. Now Andrew's I, in studio right uh, yeah, now. Yeah, I was. And I'm in, at home.
0: I was in studio for both parts of of this EPL preview. So I'm. Mm. Yeah, I'm coming to you from Caught Offside Towers on the Upper West Side. But yeah, I think it'll continue to be a blend. I feel like we made it work. And yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. I'm going to
1: aim to be in studio a lot more. I can't. I do like the. Uh, I like the frisson between us. No,
0: Andrew. I agree. I, I. It's it's the best. It's yeah. the best.
1: Uh, Lincoln Kelly from Waco, Texas. Uh, this is my favorite podcast, so thank you. Wow. Uh, my question is, what was the most exciting season of the Premier League? I loved all of your songs that you have composed. EPL, Back For More, Rap Battle, and I'd forgotten about this one. The Christmas uh, album. The, the
0: Christmas album is so good. I, I don't excellent. know why. I came across it recently and I was like, wow, we we did a fine job there. The production value is, <laughs> it's through the roof.
1: Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. I hope you do something like that again. You know what? Yeah. Uh, we might do another Christmas album," uh, he says. "Go Spurs! Um, favorite most exciting season in the Premier League? Do you want to go first?
0: I'm not going to lie, when yeah. I was going through the mailbag, I <laughs> I missed this question. Oh I'm seeing God. this for the first time, You're so disgrace. I have no prep. What I I off the top of my head, I mean, look, even though it came at my own joy's expense, what Leicester City did was just so un- it felt unprecedented in this money era it's hard not to look at that and and think of that one and then- those
1: fabulous foxes have done it again it's uh, Leicester city and what a uh,
0: joy it's been that that impression has come along really well um, i also think obviously i it's funny i go from like the refreshing look what they did without money, to the look what they did because of money. But the way Man City won their first title, obviously, in terms of a conclusion to a season, it's as memorable as it gets. Um, I'd have to go a little deeper into the memory bank to to keep thinking. What do you have?
1: Um, I would say, uh, Lincoln, go back and uh, look it up on YouTube. Ninety four, ninety five. I love a season that goes to the last day. Mm-hmm. So 94-95... You've, when Blackburn won the league, so Blackburn go to Liverpool needing a win. Liverpool winning against Blackburn will put United. If United can uh, can get a a win, would put United. That would give United the title. And United go to West Ham and they just, they just can't score. Um, unbelievable. Uh, that was a really really great finish to uh, to the season 94-95. And obviously the Aguero last day was serious drama. It should have been straightforward for Man City, and it wasn't. Uh, So that was 2011-2012. And also you had United, who thought they'd won the league, and they were at Sunderland, and they're all on the pitch looking around, and then they discovered that Aguero has scored right at the death. And remember,
0: Um, too, they were trailing entering stoppage time. in Dzeko, in one of the most forgettable big moments in this sports history. He scored to even make it possible on a corner kick. I think it was in the first minute of stoppage time. And then Aguero, what was it? Five minutes later, got the winner. Incredible.
1: Yeah, absolutely amazing. So uh, let's move on. Uh, Brian, not an Arsenal fan, but I'm curious to hear how you guys think their season will go. Honestly, it seems like they're just going to have another very average season and finish in ninth. We talked a bit about them on the last podcast. There's, there is reason to be optimistic. There's also a uh, reason for concern. Um, the optimism is you've, you've, you've signed Ben white central defender. He's coming in. Um, he's got a great reputation when he was on loan at Leeds and his time at Brighton. Uh, you've got young players like Emil Smith Rowe. Um, you've got uh Koya Saka. Um, uh Conga, the signing. You've got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who if
0: if well, his, he's, if he's on. Mean, f- we're talking about X-Factors.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, I don't, again, it's hard to say because I don't know if Granit Jack is going to be there, but if he is, that's important experience in the middle of the park, and maybe he can carry his his Euros form into this season. But there's there's just something not quite right there. Uh But it needs to be a big season. It's as simple as that.
0: Yeah, I'm very curious about Nicolas Pepe.
1: Yeah, me too. I've kind of is... I've kind
0: of held on to him and I feel You've like held him
1: close to your bosom.
0: <laughs> but like cuz cuz he you see things from him where you think okay, there is a player in there. But you just don't see it with any measure of consistency. He's not a young player anymore. I think he's 26. Uh so like this is now like I will stop holding on to him this season. If if like this is my make or break season for him.
1: Yeah. Uh we are nearly towards the end. Andrew, in fact, this is the last one. Okay, uh, Matt Schiandra at JJ Devaney, This is up your alley. Uh, <laughs> our friend Mark Critchley from the Independent uh, tweets a picture of Tony Soprano in the uh, in his swimming pool with the ducks from that famous fr- uh, first season storyline in The Sopranos, uh, and it's uh, it's it's quote tweeting or picture tweeting City Extra. Uh, who said, Pep Guardiola became fascinated by the formation of Geese in flight when reviewing drone footage of Man City training one afternoon last year. He enthused about their teamwork and notices similarities with how a squad should behave together. That's via at Jack (laughs) gone. Actually, um, that is very, very Pep Guardiola indeed. And um, it's interesting. Pep Guardiola was... Uh, interviewed after the Champions League final, and the interviewer asked him if he was depressed about tinkering with his team and losing. Uh, we've got the audio here. Do
2: you feel depressed?
0: Since the Ducks left. I guess. Boy, it really meant it, a lot to him.
1: It really did. It was it was the Ducks more than Champions League final. So there we are. That... <laughs> Is the mail busy? Uh, one final thing: a lot of people have been asking us about uh, the helper fan, and I—we've I, just been rammed this week with the messy stuff covering that, and and these two podcasts that I haven't had a chance to consider it. However, I'm considering that we will do it, Andrew.
0: Don't you think we've we've kind of helped the world enough? I feel like we've kind of given out everybody who's wanted one; they've got one by now.
1: No because a lot of people have been asking for it so here are the very strict rules of this shortened help a fan because it can get onerous when you get so many um so many submissions so here's how it's going to work the closing date will be this coming monday at midnight okay so that is monday the 16th
0: that's not fair
1: that is what's happening. Listen to me, on You're giving friend, I'm people do-
0: three days' notice? That's not I'm- fair. Some people may not even hear this podcast until after then.
1: Well, when should it be then? The transfer window. Oh, my God, you maniac. you kill us.
0: First of all, I don't even want to do this. You took it upon yourself to say you're doing it. So this is all you. But I'm just saying you can't give people only three days. That's not fair. If you're going to do all it, right. you got to do it right. The transfer window.
1: Okay, Sweet Jesus. The transfer window. You asked for it. Okay. The transfer window. Then it's done. No more submissions after that. I will get to as many as I can because this is a one-man job here. All right. Um, closing date transfer window. No entries accepted after that. You have to email us. CaughtOffSidePod at gmail.com. I cannot be going across Instagram, Twitter, trying to find out. No, so, no, no. So One where place. where are
0: you posting the sheet? Uh, the
1: sheet. I will I'm posting the sheet on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, okay? fair enough. Yeah, but you've got but you've got to email us. Do not send or DM them anywhere else. And when you send it in, you've got to leave a five star review on iTunes. Them's the rules.
0: Well, in that case, I would tell people to just go ahead and do this anyway. Uh, we'll take as many five star reviews as we can possibly get. JJ's got time. He'll 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 fill all these sheets out for you. Don't worry about it. will him. do.
1: I will do my very best to reply to every single one. All right, those are the rules. You've heard them.
0: Well, this was great. Thank you to everyone. I know, sadly, I know that there was a lot of tweets and mail uh, that we did not get to, but this is the season hasn't even started yet. So I keep this energy up, people. We love your. We love hearing from you, corresponding with all of you. So keep it coming all throughout the season. Love the mailbag. One of my favorite things we do on the show. Another Actually, one of my favorite. Oh, oh, what?
1: One final note. I'm <sighs> so sorry. There was a, a father uh, and a daughter contacted me and asked me to give a shout out to his daughter's team. They listened to the podcast on their way to games. And I saw it, meant to reply, meant to give the shout out. And I lost the email or the DM or wherever. So please, I apologize. Whoever you are, resend it. And I will, I promise to do a shout out because it was a very sweet message you sent us.
0: Can't wait for our next segment coming up here, J.J. We're taking a quick break. We'll be back on the other side from NBC Sports, former Premier Leaguer Danny Higginbotham on the program next. Don't go anywhere. More Caught Offside up next. Oh, all right, J.J. Part two of the EPL season preview rolls along. We've been talking about this. We've been so excited for it. You, of course, remember him as a longtime Premier League defender. I remember him, of course, as a standout for the Gibraltar international side. You've watched him here in the U.S. on NBC and this season in MLS as well. One of the voices of the Philadelphia Union. So excited right now to have Danny Higginbotham on the program with us. Danny, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you both doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. We're very excited. I mean, soccer has essentially not stopped this summer. And here we are, bang, like the Premier League season is at our doorstep. And so we, we're diving in and here we go. Let, let's start at the top for me. The, the European champions, Chelsea, won the Super Cup yesterday. Looks like at time of recording, it looks like they're about to sign Lukaku. I don't know that it's 100% official yet, but I'm going to assume that it is. It, it feels like morale is high at Stamford Bridge right now. What, what's your impression of them heading into the season?
2: I think they're in a really good place. I think you have to put them as, as one of the favourites for the Premier League. I think Tuchel's come in. He's defined the style of the team. Obviously, you know, the majority of the time playing with a with a back three. I think one of the things that they've got in their favour is like Lukaku, you're talking about him coming out. I personally think that, you know, that that will get done. You know, there seems to be so much talk talk of it and, and it getting close. That's the focal point that, that Thomas Tuchel's obviously after. But then I think you look at players like Timo Werner, you look at players like Havertz, you know, it's going to be their second season. And, you know, sometimes it can take time for players to adjust. A lot of people have been talking about Timo Werner, you know, well, what's going to happen with him? Because obviously, you know, there's only one centre forward that's going to be playing. I may be in a minority, but I don't think he's a centre forward. I think when he was at Leipzig and you can play counter-attacking football, I think potentially then you can look at him and say, right, okay, we use his pace to get him behind. We know that that's not how things work in a Premier League with Chelsea. And I think he could benefit with playing off a player like uh, like Lukaku. So I think they're in a great place. And I think they're going to be one of the main challenges for the Premier League. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Danny, do they even need Lukaku? Uh, It's, you know what, it's such a bizarre thing to think about, but I think that my honest opinion, I look at Manchester City and I look at Chelsea and I think they are the two top favourites mm. to win the Premier League and neither of them really play with a recognised centre-forward, yeah. which is crazy to think, you know, all this talk about the false number nine and what have you and and that's what, that's what we've been getting with Chelsea and in particular with Manchester City, we've seen Havertz doing it a lot for Chelsea and one of the things a lot of people say is that, you know, how can you play that centre-forward? I know from from my own personal experience as a defender, playing against a team that plays without a centre-forward is an absolute nightmare mm. because as a centre-back or as a defender, your security is having a man-to-mark. And if you don't have a man-to-mark, you go looking for a man-to-mark and you only have to look at Manchester City's top goalscorer last season, Gundogan. That was because centre backs had, you know, left left their position on the pitch. They drifted in, they they'd follow, they'd followed De Bruyne who was playing false nine or Sterling or Bernardo Silva or a Torres, whoever it may have been. And that's where Gundawan benefited from it. And I think what we could potentially be looking at, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Lukaku at Chelsea, but I think we could potentially be looking at a team that that wins the Premier League, not necessarily having like last season. Not necessarily having a player that's, you know, right at the top of the goal scoring charts in the Premier League. And that, that you know, I'm not saying it's uncharted territory, but it, it's not something that we see on a regular basis. You know, a lot of the time, whether it be Liverpool when they won the Premier League with Salah, whether it be, you know, previous teams that have won the Premier League, Aguero with Manchester City, you know, in, in the not so distant past... But I think with the way that Chelsea, sorry, not not so much Chelsea, depending on what happens with Lukaku, but with Manchester City, they share the goals around. And I think the beauty of that is that you don't become reliant on one player. And that's what I think Guardiola managed so well last season, in particular with the pandemic that was going on. He was able to rest and rotate, knowing that at any one time, he had four or five players on the pitch that were likely to get you a goal. So that could well be the way forward for for certain teams. Danny, um, talking about signings, uh, Jürgen Klopp
1: has hinted that he's not going to do any more business this summer. Now, we've heard that before from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And the window is extended this season to the, to the end of August. So there is time to do business. But um, do they need to make signings in your judgment? And if so,
2: where? I think one of the things that I've said before, and this doesn't matter where you are in the league, whether you're in the bottom, you know, the bottom third, the middle third, or the top third of the league. I always believe that you have to make signings to stand still. I think that's always been the way the way that it's been. Even myself when I was playing, don't get me wrong, wasn't challenging at the at the top end of the Premier League. But I look at seasons that I had where we thought we'd done well, we'd finished 11th or 12th in the Premier League, and we thought it was going to be okay, and we didn't sign any plays. And the next year we got relegated, and I've had that twice within within my career. Then at other times we we've, we've not done so well in the league, and then the next season we've gone and decided that we needed to buy plays, then we had a better season. So. I think that when you look at this Liverpool team, obviously we, we don't know the extent of Robertson's injury. Obviously Wijnaldum's gone. Yeah. But then you you look at the other side of that. They've brought Canate in. Um, you've got Van Dijk coming back. You've got Gomez coming back. I think Alisson's just signed a new contract. Fabinho and Trent Alexander-Arnold have as well. So it's, it's a difficult one because... You know Jamie Carragher spoken about it in depth before, and spoke really well about it as in terms of the front three having a um, having having a I'm trying to think of the word having like a lifespan, so to speak, before right. that needs to be broken up. And I thought that that was a really good conversation that he had because he brought other teams into it, and you know that may be something that needs to be shuffled around at some point as well. But the problem is when you are one of the top teams in Europe, which Liverpool are, yes, they didn't have the greatest seasons last year, but they still finished in the Champions League places, is that when Jurgen Klopp came, he was very intelligent about making signings. I remember he came towards, I think it was like November time, something like that when he came. And I think what he did then, mainly from when he joined the club until the end of that season, all the players were on trial. And I think that he looked in it and thought, right, these are the players that are going to come in the, come on the journey with me. And then he did things slowly but surely, brick by brick, made the signings that he thought were going to make the team better and inevitably, more often than not, when he signed these players, they all made the team better. The problem that Jurgen Klopp has now, which is the same with any teams that are successful, is that you go from fishing in a really big pond where you can buy a certain amount of plays that are going to improve your team to a really small pond. And that's where Jurgen Klopp is at at the moment. There are only going to be a select few that are going to make his team better. But those players that you know realistically are going to make liverpool better also cost a huge sum of money and we know the way that things are in the world at the moment we know even even the top clubs have suffered because of it so therefore Jurgen Klotz probably looking and thinking okay yeah I want to improve my team but for me to improve my team it could potentially be costing 50 60 70 million pounds just to get one player yeah that's going to improve this team so that's a, I think that's a difficulty that he has um People are talking about Van Dijk coming back. I think it's brilliant, you know, as a neutral. I think it's great seeing back. He's one of the best centre-backs in in world football. But the one thing I can say from my own experience of having a similar injury to that, I was always told when you're out with an injury, however long the length of the injury that you're out for is, that is predominantly how long it takes you to get back to your best. And I agree 100% with that. So I would love to see Van Dijk come back and be the Rolls-Royce that he was before injury. But I don't think that just happens. You know, it takes time. You have to get your match fitness. You have to get used to, to being back in the Premier League, which is, regardless of what anybody says, the best league in the world. So that could take a little bit of time. And I don't see myself personally, I may be completely wrong, but I don't see Liverpool, if you're asking me who's going to challenge for the Premier League, I don't think Liverpool will do this season.
0: Hmm. Danny, uh, I want to go back to a team you mentioned a little bit before, Manchester City. This is kind of kind of a yeah. hybrid Man City, Lionel Messi question. The, the last time I checked, after Messi signed with PSG, I checked the, uh, the betting markets, expecting to see PSG kind of skyrocket to the top of, of the Champions League betting. Um, and I was a little bit surprised to see that they were actually just tied atop with Manchester City, which to me speaks volumes about City. Are City that good? I think City City are that good. I don't think there's any doubt
2: about it. The thing that I would say about PSG is that what Pochettino's got to do, and I think we saw saw indications of it last season. PSG, in my mind, over the last three or four years, they've been a team of great individuals, not a team of great team players, if that makes sense. So you look at the team that they have now, and individually, you've got to argue and say that... 1-11, to they're up there as one, if not the best team in Europe. No doubt about that. But now what Pochettino has to do, which which I think when you look at PSG, look at the times that PSG have gone out of the Champions League. It's been like a spectacular failure where the team has just self-imploded on the pitch at certain times and certain aspects within, within the Champions League. And that's something that Pochettino has to rectify. He's got all the tools at his exposure now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You look at the front three potential of Neymar, Messi and Mbappe. That's fantasy football. You know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And what you have to do now is get a cohesion throughout the team because they are a team that when you look at the quality on paper, there's no doubt in it. There's no doubt in it. They are one of the best teams around. But they have self-imploded in recent seasons at key parts of key tournaments in particular the Champions League so I think that, that that's something that Pochettino has to do whereas I look at this Manchester City team and how many times we know that Guardiola does to all extent and purposes maybe apart from a couple of players it's a rotational team how many times have we heard players come out complaining that they're not playing enough very rarely do you hear that and I think that's a beauty of what Pep Guardiola has done, you know, and, and people always throw the factor in, well, look at all the money he's spent. And I get that, but look at the day that Pep Guardiola came into the club, look at the plays that were already there and tell me which one hasn't improved. Tell me the ones that, some of them have gone from great players to world-class players. Some of them have gone from good players to great players. So I think what we can't, what we can't ignore is the fact that yes, he spent a lot of money, but he's also an outstanding coach that that improves players. I think one of the difficulties that you have when you play against Manchester City as well, and that, and I find it myself being in being in a studio when you get the team lineup in, or or when I've been doing commentary of their games, you get the team lineup in, but you still don't know how they're going to play. You don't know whether they're going to play with a false number nine. You don't know whether they're going to play a four three three or a four two three one or a four one four one or even a back three, and. So we're, we're doing that as studio analysts or as commentary teams. Imagine when the opposition team are getting the, are getting the yeah. 11. You know, you, you always, when I was playing, it was always, right, okay, from Thursday first, and first Friday, you would you would be prepping on the opposition you were playing against. And more often than not, you'd be going on the pitch and you knew who you would be facing. That's not going to be Sorry. the case for Manchester City. You know, Jack Grealish played in the Community Shield last week and he only played, what, half an hour, something like that. I was doing commentary of the game on, uh, on ESPN and he played in three different positions within half an hour. So that's the beauty of this Pep Guardiola team. He's got intelligent plays and he's got plays that can play in multiple positions. And I wouldn't say that that was just the case of two or three players. I would say that that is probably 10 or 12 players, whether that be centre-backs going to full-backs, um, midfielders going to false nines, midfielders going to wingers, defensive midfielders going to attacking midfielders in terms of the, the talk of Gundogan. So he's got that beauty. So I, I, I still make Manchester City yeah, pro- probably up there with PSG to be a and it's, and it's crazy to say that because they don't have a centre-forward. But they just don't need one. D- Danny, you mentioned Jack Grealish there. And I, I was th- I've been thinking about this over
1: the, the past week or so. Um, City are br- not just breaking their, their kind of in and around 60 million transfer policy. But they're they're also breaking a little bit with what they've done before in terms of player acquisition. They don't buy the big stars. You know they bring in Ferran Torres, um, any of the big stars that they may have bought were. Pro- I mean, even Sergio Aguero, which w- wasn't obviously bought. He wasn't bought during the Guardiola era. You know, how big a star really was he? He was. He was a bit well known in La Liga, but generally speaking, City haven't done that. But with Jack Grealish, they're buying a bona fide star. Like, just so you saw the clamor for him to play in England over the summer. Like, how does that change? The dynamic of a dressing room when you've got this all of a sudden when you've had all these guys almost on an equal level or equal footing part of a machine and then you've got this guy who walks in with the glamour and the hundred million dollar price tag and the whole thing does that change the dynamic of a dressing room and and the second part to my question is where exactly is he gonna play for manchester city
2: i think the first question Question you asked is is obviously a, a very valid point, as in terms of you know breaking the mold and, and stepping up to that hundred million mark. But what I would still suggest is that yes, Jack Grealish, you know he was a star at Villa and uh, the huge clamor for him, excuse me, to play for England. I don't even think is at sixty percent of his potential. Wow, really? I, honest, I honestly don't. I don't, and that's what I think. Yes, it's a hundred million. People people will be saying, well you don't go and spend a hundred million on potential. First of all, you are, you, you're the, you're the price that a team is is prepared to pay for you. But by the time Guardiola is finished with Jack, Jack Grealish, I think we're going to look at a hundred million pounds and go, that was a drop in the ocean. I know it's bizarre to say it in football terms. It's crazy, but it's the way the world is where we are at. And, and obviously, you know, I know that the pandemic has slowed things down for certain teams, but I think his potential is massive. And I think that, yes, they've gone and spent all of this money, but I don't think Jack Grealish is anywhere near his true potential yet. So You've got so, to remember. Sorry, Danny,
1: just to cut across you. So you don't think, like, my worry is that, like, he's going to be subsumed into this city system and he's going to become another part or a cog in a system and that the individuality is going to be sucked out of
2: him. You You see it the opposite. I see the opposite because I, I go off examples and I go off the Bruyne,er who I think is a, is a great right. example of that. You know, he's had injuries and what have you. He's played in multiple positions. Arguably, the best midfielder in the world at the moment. Um, you look at you look at players that are improving all the time. You look at Gundogan. There's no way that any of the three of us would would have said that he would have been Manchester City's top goal scorer. I look at Raheem Sterling. Okay, you know a lot. Of, a few people have said that you know he's, he's had a little bit of a quiet time, but there's no doubting that that his ability has come on as well. Mares as well, I think his ability, I think he's come on. I look at this Manchester City team, and I don't think I can't I can't name many players or any players that haven't improved under the coaching of Guardiola. You know, there's the argument that people say about about Mendy, but Mendy's really struggled with injuries. But if I look at every other player. From back to front, every single position, players have improved. You know, and, and what people tend to forget is the, the question that you hear being asked at the moment, where does Jack Grealish fit into this team? Where does he fit into this team? Well, let's look at players that, that have come in since Guardiola's been at the club. There's only really been you look at Diaz and you look at um, you look at Edison. Other than that, I don't think there's been too many plays that have come in and been in the starting eleven for like 25, 30 games in a row. They've all slowly but surely integrated because Guardiola has a a specific style of play. And I think that the players have to adapt to that. It's unique in the way that he plays, the methods that he has. So any player coming to the club, they have to learn the ropes first and then they grow from strength to strength from from there. But I have no doubt that Jack Grealish in two years from now will be a completely different Jack Grealish than what we've got now. I remember speaking to Dean Smith um, when... When Jack Grealish was at Villa, when they were in the Championship, and he'd been out injured for a while, and I remember speaking to Dean. It was actually before they played uh, the Derby against local rivals Birmingham City, and Jack Grealish was coming back from injury, and, and Dean Smith had given him the captaincy. And I said to Dean Smith at the time, I said, you know, it, have you given the, have you given him the captaincy because you know you want him to remain at the club because there's a lot of interest from from Premier League teams. He's like, no, I've given him the captaincy because he is a leader. He's a leader on the pitch and he's a leader in the dressing room. And then the following game that I did was Birmingham versus Villa and it's where that fan ran onto the pitch and smacked him and smacked him. Yeah, that's right. And most players would have been really shaken up from that. He grew from that and he got the winner in the second half. And that told, that, that showed me a lot about Jack Grealish. So when we talk about Jack Grealish, we talk about the ability that he's got. We talk about you know the, how good he is on the ball, the assists that he makes, the goals that he scores. But what is very rarely talk, rarely talking about is his leadership skills, because nobody defines him as as a leader. But when you when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, and you actually get to speak to a manager that's managing him, and you see a different side of him, that's going to be something that Pep Guardiola will have taken into consideration as well. And I just think that, like I say, I may be proven wrong, but I think 100 million is going to seem. He's going to seem cheap in a couple of years just because of the play that Jack Grealish is, the amount of um, room I think he has for growth and the coach that he's working under as well.
0: Danny, just a couple more for for you here. Yeah. So generous with your time. Um, Harry Kane. I've gone back and forth on this so many times. Is he right? Is he wrong? Is Levy right? Is Levy wrong? Tottenham should sell. They shouldn't help me where where do you where do you stand with this situation who's right who's wrong what should they do I I need guidance here I go back to uh, and
2: 2018 when when he signed a six-year contract I think it was I think it was something like that 2018 I think it was he signed a new six-year contract so he's contracted to, to Tottenham for for another three years. Straight away, that that makes it very difficult for him to move. I think we're in a unique period of football at the moment where ordinarily, if a player's got three years left on his contract, goes down to two years, a significant chunk of his transfer fee will have been reduced. I don't think that's going to be the case with Harry Kane. I think that we're now looking at a point where there's probably a couple of clubs that could potentially afford him. I think we fast forward a year. Those... Those clubs are still going to be able to afford him. Um, Financially, football is going to be in a better position. So I think we're in a unique position where Harry Kane, with three years left on his contract, is going to be worth the same with two years left on his contract because of what's going on in the world at the moment. So I think that's something that goes against Harry Kane. I think the fact that when they signed their new contract, what they should have done, um, which I think it was something that, that Jack Grealish's camp had was have a, a sell, was have a, a buyout clause in there, yeah. then there's no arguments. I think what also makes it more difficult for Harry Kane to move is that Jack Grealish has just moved for 100 million pounds, and Jack Grealish is on the periphery of the England team, um, hasn't been the top goal scorer on numerous occasions in the Premier League, and isn't a centre forward. So if you're Daniel Levy, you're looking at and you're thinking to yourself, okay, if Jack Grealish is going for 100 million, then Harry Kane's 150, 160 million. Because you know what you're getting straight away with Harry Kane is in terms of arguably, arguably being one one, if not the top goalscorer in the Premier League year after year. So that makes it, that makes it more difficult as well. So I don't think, unfortunately for Harry Kane, I don't think he holds many cards. I really don't. I can see why Manchester City want him, because he is an all-round center forward. People talk about Manchester City, myself in particular, playing with a false number nine. He is a false number nine. He, he can drop into that number 10 position, create space in behind. He can be that focal point for a team as well, whenever it's needed, but I just don't see him leaving Tottenham. And I think that he's going to have to get his head down, which I'm sure he will do, but I don't think, I don't think they went about it the right way is in terms of what they've done in the last few weeks. I don't think they've held the cause. Last one
1: for me, uh, Danny, uh, mm. it's been a, it's been an an interesting week for, for looking back and there's been a lot of tributes paid to this man, but for my money the best midfielder of the Premier League era turned 50 on Tuesday and he is your uh, former teammate uh, former captain of Manchester United and he brought he brought you to Sunderland am I right in saying he that He did
2: yeah uh, he's Roy oh, Morris sorry. Keane um
1: <laughs> just
2: uh, go on a legend genius i got a little bit frustrated actually because the um so People were doing tributes to, to him and quite rightly so, you know, for his, for his 50th birthday and things like that and everything that he's done in the game. And an extract was taken, was taken from a book that I did um, a while ago and it, and it was taken, it was taken uh, by The Athletic. I said, absolutely no problem at all. Absolutely fine. So they did it and they put it all in there, which was brilliant. But then other, other companies then just took little bits that they yeah. wanted to take. And they missed the top bit off and they missed the bottom bit off. So obviously the fact of like, the thing that's been going around at the moment is the team tour that he did before a game, you know, you're this and you're that. So just enjoy being this and you're that. What they didn't put was the top bit said for me, was an absolute inspiration being, being from, from the, from the very start when I used to clean his boots and he used to give me his, his old high tech boots, but to him, giving him, giving me his old Deodora boots, from making my full league debut for United at Old Trafford with him as my captain, so that that bit was missed, missed off, and then Which the is, bit at the end gone sorry.
1: That was a real shame. I saw that it basically Roy Keane at a, at, a, at halftime in a Sunderland game where you were, I, I, I can't remember was or was it before the game? It was before the game, yeah. Yeah. So he basically said Sunderland were in a bit of a rut, and he basically said, lads, lads, you're rubbish. Uh, he used stronger language than that. You'll keep being rubbish, but go out and enjoy yourselves or something like that. That's, yeah, what, you, and- that's what you are. And um, it was unfair, though, because you you did, I read the athletic piece, you did, you did praise him fulsomely.
2: Uh, the, the, whole, the whole, the bit that you just mentioned there, that was part of the praise. And that's the thing that I got a little bit frustrated by is that they missed the top bit off and they missed the bottom bit off. And the bottom, the bottom bit was that that just rallied us completely. And it was like, right, we're gonna go out and we're gonna prove we're gonna prove a point to, to the manager. It was reverse psychology from him. You know, he he may have believed what he said, he may not have believed what he said. And it was what I said, it was straight out of the Brian Clough book, which I'm sure it was. But it was it was genius from him, and that's why I got so frustrated because they've just taken this middle bit, they've not put context with it. And that's that for me has been has been the annoying bit and the frustrating bit. For me, the one thing that I saw, having having trained with Roy Keane day in day out, having been fortunate enough to make my full debut with him as as my captain, and for them for them to be managed by him was was just unbelievable. And you saw what made him tick as a manager. And there's no surprise that in that first season, the season that I had with Sunderland in the Premier League, you look at how many late goals we scored, because that was that was him. That was a drive that he installed into his players, and. We went out against Aston Villa. I think you know they they were one of the the, the better teams in the Premier League at the time, and we got a one all draw. I scored. Um, it was it was a great result for us. And what what Roy Keane did before that game was whichever way people want to take it, genius. And and that's why it was important. And I even put it like on my on, on my social media on my Twitter account is that for context. And I had, I put the whole piece on there, but. You know, I suppose you become accustomed to that, and we've seen it time and time again with, with people over the years. People, certain, certain companies will just take what they think is going to create clickbait or a headline, and yeah. I, I understand that. But from my side of things, it has to be put in context because he was nothing but an absolute joy to, to be on the same pitches. And whether it was playing, playing with him or against him, I remember when I was at Derby and we were near the bottom of the league. This was the 2000, I think 2001, 2002 season. And we were playing, we were playing United at, at what was then Pride Park. We took the lead. We went 1-0 up. They scored two goals, went 2-1 up. And they started showboating to a certain extent. We got back and we drew the game. And I remember going back in the dressing room afterwards and I was like, that wouldn't have happened if Roy Keane was playing. Roy Keane wasn't playing in that game. Okay. Because 2-1 to them would have become 3-1 and potentially 4-5-1. and five one. And that's what he brought to that team. It was like, it doesn't matter what the score is. If you're 3 or 4 nil up, you keep going. And for me, he has to be one of the best midfielders that I've ever witnessed in the Premier League, whether that being fortunate enough to play with him or less fortunate to play against him because of the way he controlled games. And he never got credit, in my opinion, for his distribution either. Yeah, he- His distribution with the ball at his feet was incredible. He was always known as this player that could spoil things and, and would get in amongst and have the battles with Vieira, which were, which were intense and which were amazing. But what he didn't get credit for was just how good he was on the ball. So, like I say, you know, I'm I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to actually put the full context out there rather than just some clickbait that, that's been taken, um, that's been taken out and you know put the start of things and the end of things on there because he was yeah, a genius.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Danny. One thing though, there isn't a week since he's gone back into punditry. I don't think there's a week where we've done our podcast where he hasn't said something. That uh, has uh, just gone viral, um, and that's—I mean, he—he's an excellent pundit in, in that sense. But do you think, uh, do you think that damages his chances of ever getting back into management, or do you think actually
2: at this point it's ten years since he managed the Ipswich? Maybe he's given up on it. Yeah, I suppose there's two, there's two ways of looking at it. I think I think the problem is now, and like when I speak to managers before I do games now, it's one of the hardest. It's one of the hardest things now. When I was when I was in the dressing room, you probably had two or three different types of characters that the managers had to, had to man manage, you know, it was the lads that you could give a kick up the backside, the lads that, you know, you, you, you had to massage their ego to a certain extent. And the lads that you just left alone. Now I think you've got seven or eight different characters and each, (laughs) each one has to be treated differently and individually. And that's the way the world. That's the way that the world is evolving. It's the way that, that everything's evolving. So, the management side of things now becomes probably more important than ever, because in order to get the best out of certain players, they have to be treated a certain way. You know, and I saw that, like I say, when I was playing. Obviously, not not to not to as great an extent, but that's the way that it is. And you know, certain players will will uh, will thrive under certain man management skills and things like that. But I just feel that. Like when, when I was in the dressing room, you know, I had some big characters that were my managers. I had Gordon Strachan, Jim Smith, Tony Pulis, you know, the few times with Sir Alex Ferguson, obviously Roy Keane. And <clears throat> oh my God, you know, like I can't believe he's just said that about certain things, but then it was forgotten about. And then you cracked on and you, ju- you just got on with things then. And I think that's, that's one of the things that you look at and think to yourself it's difficult to be that way now. And you right. know, Jim Smith was Jim Smith was was one of the greatest I had, you know, may you rest in peace. He, you know, I remember times he would absolutely destroy you in the dressing room, right up there with the best of them. And then five minutes later he's giving you a massive kiss and it's just yeah. forgotten about. And and that's it. And it's it's having that ability to just go, right, okay, well, this manager's having a go at me because of this, and I can do better. The the best, obviously I'm going on a little bit now, but the best bit of advice I got given was when I was. I think it was when I was 20 years old. We had the reserve team manager, Jim Ryan, at Manchester United. And he went on at me for about a year and a half, every training session. The ball could be down the other end of the pitch. And it somehow came back to being my fault. And, and I remember he, he we, were, we got changed at the cliff and we were driving around to Littleton Road and it was just after I made my debut. And he got me in a car and went, oh, what did you think about that? I said, this, this is my boyhood club. Things don't get much better than that for me. Um, and he said, have you got anything you want to ask me? And I was like, yeah, so for the last year and a half, I said, all you've done is come for me now off every single training session and I've been nothing to do with it. And he was like, "Danny, let me give you a bit of advice on that's gonna do you the world of good for the rest of your career. And he went, the minute a manager stops criticising you and stops going on at you and stops telling you you can do these things better, he's finished with you. And that was something then that I just took with the rest of my career. And you saw that as time went along. And a lot of players won't understand it and they'll be like, oh, he's always having a go with this and that because he cares for you, because he thinks you can do better. Now, sometimes a criticism may really, really hurt, but I just feel that like in football, you've got to understand that, like even if you have an argument with your teammates, if, if the manager's telling you something, more often than not, it's because he thinks you can do better because you shouldn't have done this in a situation. The same with teammates as well. And, and I think like that can get lost at times, but, but no, Roy Keane was an exceptional player used to join him with us on a Thursday and he was the best player on an 11 V 11. So yeah, management is changing as it's going along because the generation is changing as it's going along. So it becomes, it does become more difficult and, and the adaptation for a manager is, is more difficult as, as the years go on as well.
0: I, I know we're going long here and we're kind of on a tangent now, but I'm just enjoying it. So I just wanted to ask you what, of the different types of players that managers had to deal with in different ways, which type were you? Like, I know I am delicate. I would have to be treated delicately. Uh, (laughs) What were you, someone who could take it? Oh,
2: I, I got, I got used to getting, I got used to getting told every single Saturday that I wasn't up to scratch. So you get used to it, but then, but what managers do, managers then come up with ways of doing things. So I remember Tony Pulis, he was, he was really good at it. So what he would do, you could be walking in right at halftime, and you could be playing really well. You could be having a good game as an individual. Now that could, that would be a number of plays in the dressing room. Because we we had a number of plays in, in the Stoke dressing room that could take the criticism. So you'd be walking into the dressing room and there could be Roy DeLapp, could be Ryan Shawcross, uh, Ryan Shawcross, could be Robert Hoof, could be Glenn Whelan, could be John Walters, could be one of quite a few different players. And he would just give you the look and then you knew what was coming. Because you would go in the dressing room and he wanted to have a go at a player that he didn't necessarily think could take the criticism, but you were sat next to him. So you were in for it. Because what he would do, he would come in and you know you knew it was coming, so you accepted it. He would look at you and he'd start going ballistic. And he wouldn't, and he'd be staring, he'd be staring at you, he'd be going ballistic at you, but then every now and then the player that was sat next to you that he didn't think could take it, he'd give them a stare as well. But he would be thinking to himself that the player that was sat next to me would be like, oh, yeah, he's he's, he's having a little bit of a look at me. He's quite angry, but he's not really having a go at me, but I'm going to pay attention. And that's what he used to do. And the amount of times he used to go at me, and to be honest with you, a lot of the times it was justified because I wasn't having a great game. But there'd be other times when I was doing all right and he would like go off at me. But then he'd look to the side, or we'd go off at, at one of the other players that I just mentioned previously, and that's you know that's a way of doing the management thing, which is like you're not directly having to go at the individual because you don't necessarily think that they could potentially take the the criticism because it might affect the performance, but you're still letting them know. And there's just different ways of doing it, and I thought that Tony Pulis did did that really well, and that's I think what what manager have, managers are having to deal with now because there are so many many different characters in the game but I think that's I think that's the world over and I think that's you know that that's not just football that's everything as well as generations go on
1: Danny the greatest documentary about football is on YouTube and it's 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 none of these Amazon behind the scenes documentaries mm. at Tottenham and Man City it's Neil Warnock Sheffield United <laughs> <Yeah>. 2004 <laughs> season 2005 I think it was it is <laughs> unbelievable and uh, <laughs> I, <laughs>
2: What what a, and and that's what it's great. About. I've
1: seen. Go on.
2: I've seen some of the clips. There was one I was quite a few months ago now where I had Neil Warnock, and I think it had it side by side with Pep Guardiola yeah. and him his team talks, <laughs> and it was brilliant. But, but there's there, there is no like people talk about like well this manager. There's no right and there's no wrong. There's success, and that's what it that's what it all comes down to. You know, and, and that's that's how it is, and, and that will that will never change. At the end of the day, if a manager's doing it this way, but is having success, then it's absolutely fine. We we get caught at times, and I think we're in a huge point of it now. We're in a huge point of snobbery in football at the moment, mm. where football has to be played a certain way. And if it's not played a certain way, then it's not going to be acceptable. And that's that's what really frustrates me because in an ideal world. Yeah, you play football that's really pleasing on the eye and you win games and you win trophies and you win championships. There's a very, very small percentage of teams in the world that can do that. And for the rest of the teams, it's about getting results and it's about how you get those results. And I think unless, unless you play a certain style at the moment, you don't get the credit that, that you deserve because it's not necessarily pleasing on the eye. And that's something that frustrates me a bit because, you know, there's more than one way to play football. You know, don't get me wrong. The best, when they're cutting through teams with the best players, with the best managers, is absolutely brilliant to watch. But there's still other teams, excuse me, that are having success relative to what they are as a team that may play a different way, but they don't get the praise that they deserve. And that's why I'm always trying to give praise to that so-called lesser team because I've been part of those so-called lesser teams. When I was at Stoke, nobody us in the Premier League. You know, and, and we were called a rugby team by Arsene awesome Wenger. But by the end of the season, it was like, oh, look at these. They're a good team. They're exciting to watch. You know, they've got this long throat. It is what it is. If we'd have gone and tried to go toe-to-toe with the top teams in the Premier League with the possession-based football, we'd have been relegated probably with a record low points. So we played to our strengths and, you know, and we, and we stayed up in the league. So anyway, that's, that's my rant over about that.
0: Danny, you're you're the best. We've enjoyed this so much. We probably could have done it for another couple hours or so. Uh, we'll, we'll have to catch up again soon. We look forward to watching you all throughout the season and in MLS as well with the Union. Uh, thanks so much, man. We'll talk again soon.
2: Brilliant. Thanks, gentlemen. Take care.
0: Oh, man. Danny Higginbotham, that was that was awesome. I, his that stories was, are incredible.
2: That was
1: really good. Uh, we, we need to do a podcast with him where we get into uh, Sir Alex and Roy and yeah. all those great players that he was there. To see and to witness at Old Trafford, and also his career at Sunderland when Roy was his manager.
0: Uh, what what kind of player in terms of how coaches deal with uh, their players? What what category do you fall into? Were you a, a delicate soul like myself, or, or a tough Tommy? Huh?
1: Um, is there is there is there possibly a middle point there? Because um, I was sensitive, definitely. Like I took criticism to heart. Um, but I but I always showed up and I was enthusiastic and I, I always gave of my best. So somewhere in the middle there, I would say.
0: Um, also, uh, for clearly there, the elephant in the room, Danny was at the beach. And I got to say, I think I want to I, I love the sound effects. And I think I would now want to just drop in the sounds of seagulls uh, in all of our interviews. I think it's just nice, calming. And I think it would really do a lot to help this show.
1: I'll tell you what, I can speak seagull, and the things the seagull was shouting at Danny about you. Oh. Wow. There were some pretty harsh words in there, and um, some possibly, uh, yeah, some really bad stuff.
0: Huh. So that's where you took that. Interesting. You're really a good friend. Uh, EPL prediction time, JJ. Here we go. You ready? Let's go. Bottom three. I'll go first, because I'm courageous. Brentford, Norwich, Sean Dyche, and Burnley, gone.
1: Ooh. Uh, In no particular order,
0: Palace, Mm.
1: Watford, Sean Dyche, and Burnley, gone.
0: (laughs) All right, there you have it. Uh, Manager of the year.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb here, Andrew. Uh, a, a, A very big limb. One of the fatter limbs that I have. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say they're going to finish high enough that he's going to be in the conversation and could win it. Thomas Frank of Brentford.
0: Holy moly! All right, I respect that. Um, so it's
1: wrong. It's wrong, but I'm <laughs> saying. Yeah, but it.
0: but sometimes this this prediction isn't always about what it's literally going to be because usually I feel like this award just kind of goes to the manager of the team that wins the title. Actually, I wonder if history backs that up. At any rate, I kind of. I'm doing something similar. Not nearly to the extent you are. But um, I'm going to go with Brendan Rodgers, JJ. I think Lester will continue to fight for top four. I don't think they'll get it, as you'll find out. I just gave that away. But I think that they'll fight, and so I want to kind of give a tip of the cap to Brendan.
1: Mm. He's going to show tremendous character by (laughs) again failing to get in the top four, and he's (laughs) going to be manager of the year. What are you talking about, you madman? Are you
0: high? I can't wait for Brentford to get relegated now after you talk to me this way. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, top scorer, I'm going to go first, JJ. Um, This guy, for me, penalty taking has a lot to do with this. So I had written down Lukaku, and then I thought, you know what? Jorginho takes those penalties. I don't know that it's going to be Lukaku. I think penalties are a big part of this. So I'm going to go Bruno Fernandez.
1: It's a good pick. He'd want to uh, pick up from his uh, Euro slump, but it it is a good pick. Uh, I'm going with Mohamed Salah.
0: Mm, Okay. Player of the Year.
1: Um, N'Golo Kante.
0: He's uh, going to win a
1: third PFA Player of the Year.
0: I'm going back to my tried and true Kevin De Bruyne. And last but not least, JJ, our top four in order.
1: In order. So starting at four and, and going to one, right? Correct. That's correct. Uh, Manchester United, Liverpool. Chelsea, relax and drink water, Man City.
0: I'll tell you what, you have zapped the drama from this. I have literally the same four in the same order. Man United, yeah. Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man City hoisting the trophy once more.
1: Like we said, th- these predictions are mean mostly everything. nonsense. So, please.
0: Wow. I can't wait. It's back this Saturday. I'm very excited, obviously. Manchester City and Tottenham I'll see you on, uh, on Sunday. I'm, I'm pumped for that. I'm so curious of all the teams for them to start out with, um, with the whole Harry Kane situation brewing between those two clubs. I don't know. I wonder if he, if he can play in that, if he scores, like would he celebrate? Uh, Just a
1: quick run through the fixtures while we're at it. Uh, Brentford Arsenal uh, kick us off uh, on Friday at 3 p.m. Manchester United and Leeds United. What a game that is 7.30 a.m. Saturday, Leicester City Wolves, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Watford, Aston Villa, and Everton, Southampton make up the rest of the Saturday games, and then oh no, they don't. Excuse me. Burnley, Brighton, Norwich City, and Liverpool uh, conclude Saturday, and then Sunday: Newcastle, West Ham, and Tottenham, and Man City is the later game on Sunday.
0: Can't wait, my friend. It's going to be a, a fun season. I'm excited to do it again with you. This is uh, this is where our bread is buttered, right?
1: This is where the bread is buttered. It's where we we branch out into all areas of football from the the eternal uh, central bow that is the Premier League. Yeah, well put. The cent- it's not a bow; it's a trunk. Sorry, a I trunk.
0: actually don't even know what you're talking about. I've, I've kind of <laughs> blacked out, and, and uh, I've got to be honest
1: with you. I'm tired at this point, I Andrew. Know. So I am talking a lot yeah. of.
0: We've done a lot, obviously. I hope everybody enjoyed parts one and two of our EPL preview. If you missed it, I would suggest go back, check out – on Wednesday we had a special bonus podcast where we talked to Simon Cooper, who just has a book coming out now detailing Barcelona's rise and fall with Lionel Messi. The timing of of that book is – it's almost – it's almost suspicious, to be perfectly honest. He was phenomenal. That conversation was great. Uh so you know, like if you're like us and you've been just enamored by what's gone on there and, and just like soaking up information, as much information as you can get, check out that podcast because uh it was it was a fascinating conversation with Simon about Messi and Barcelona. This was awesome, man. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. JJ to you I say Take it later, fun boy. See ya.
1: Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer
0: Podcast.